You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Just to alert you, this is not Trinity 78, but it's a picture that I thought would be an appropriate way of beginning the evening. Um, I've said to Michael and his colleagues that they can regard this as a medieval version of Anuna. But as well as that, it's in order to show to you the type of arrangement of monks singing in choir around an antiphonal, which is the type of manuscript that we will be discussing this evening. So I'm going to spend the first part of the talk as mainly talking, and then we will look through some, some images of the manuscript, which I will then discuss in more detail, and towards the end then we will look at very specific pieces illustrated by our singers. MS 78 is one of 33 surviving liturgical service books from Ireland, dating to between the 12th and 15th centuries, of which this particular one is a late 15th century antiphonal, by which we mean a choir book containing all of the chants required for the singing of the office. By service book, we mean books used in the practice of the liturgy, in the celebration of the Mass, the office, and the administration of the sacraments. These are, for example, the antiphonal, which we have this evening, which includes all the chant for the office, a gradual, which includes all the chant for the Mass, a missal, which has all the prayers and readings for the Mass, which can sometimes have notation also, and then we call it a noted missal. And then we have the breviary, which is a composite manuscript containing all of the materials required for the, for the office. Occasionally, rather like some missiles, a breviary can include music notation, in which case we call it a noted breviary. Then we have the lectionary, which has all the readings, only readings. Pontifical, which is a bishop's book, which includes material for the ordination ceremony, for the blessing of the new church, and such things which are part of the Episcopal duties. Then we have a sacramentary, which is a composite book with all the materials required for the administration of the sacraments. And lastly, we have the Psalter, which is the book of Psalms. Now, the Book of Psalms will sometimes have notation, but most especially when it's found in the breviary, and many breviaries will include the Psalter as well. The 33 manuscripts, of which some are indeed fragmentary, are found today in libraries mostly in Ireland and Britain. 13 of those 33 are in Irish holdings, and of those 13, 11 are here in Trinity. So Trinity has the largest concentration in any one library of medieval, surviving medieval liturgical manuscripts. There are 17 in various libraries in Britain, and the remaining three in Switzerland, the USA, and Iceland, respectively. They comprise 12 missiles, two of them noted, one gradual, 11 breviaries, of which one is noted, one soldier with notation, five antiphonals, one troper, and two processionals. Now, with respect to provenance and geographical distribution, from metropolitan Dublin there are seven, three breviaries, one with notation, a troper and consuetudinary from St. Patrick's Cathedral, two processionals from Christchurch Cathedral and its dependent parish church of St. John the Evangelist, a soldier of Augustinian origin, which was made for Christchurch Cathedral Dublin, and that is what this is, known as the, the Derby Psalter. Then we have a noted missal from St. Thomas's Abbey, which was an Eurasian order, a version of the Augustinians. And an eighth is this antiphonal, that is of the Dublin manuscripts, this antiphonal, TCD 78, which can be claimed for Clondalkin at some point in its history but with a provenance most likely in Kilkenny, as I will be discussing shortly. The next largest group comes from County Meath, with five sources, a noted breviary from Kilmoon, an Aroasian breviary and missal from St Mary's Abbey Trim, a breviary and missal, perhaps from Dulic, with material for St Finian of Clonard and St Fechin of Four. There is also a miscellaneous collection from Dulic, with an office for St. Kino. There are two manuscripts from Offaly, 
and I should say I'm regarding that all as part of Meath because it's part of the old kingdom of Meath and the, the whole area was very much a network. Uh, we have a serum breviary from Kilcormac, Car a Carmelite serum, excuse me, a Carmelite missile and a fragment of a serum breviary. And then we have three from Waterford, a fragmentary breviary with some of the earliest offices from the, the Knights Hospitaller in Bar Kilbarry Meaden. We have a portable breviary and we have a Benedictine gradual from Lismore. And finally, we have the Antiphonary of Armagh, also here at Trinity. Along with these, there is a Missal of Franciscan Roman use, along with 13 other Irish manuscripts of, so far, indeterminate provenance. Now, one of the questions, because many of these, well, all of these, are either serum, which means they are following the use of Salisbury, or they are belonging to particular orders, like Augustinian, usually Arawasian, or Franciscan, or Carmelite. So how do we know they are Irish? This is really what makes this uh, talk and these manuscripts of particular interest. They are liturgically not distinctive, really. They are mostly serum right, as I said. So unless we have a definite indication of Irish ownership or use, for example, the Dadarby soldier, which we know was made from Christ, First Christ Church Cathedral, we know of a missile from St. Thomas's Abbey, we have a breviary from Kilmoon, and we also have manuscripts from Trim. They can be identified from some comments or annotations or autographs within the manuscript. But that apart, how else would we know that they are Irish manuscripts, or what makes them Irish manuscripts in a sense? And that would be by looking at the calendars and the offices of the saints, because the Irish manuscripts have that distinctive feature, which would be true, by the way, of and manuscripts from other places as well. They have that stamp of the celebration of local saints in their calendars and special offices for that celebration devoted to the regional cults. Sometimes, as in the manuscript which we're discussing this evening, these features are there from the time that the manuscript was written. And occasionally, a manuscript can be seen to have been adapted for Irish use, where new material has been written in to accommodate local practice. But this is infrequent. Sometimes we can determine who were the makers and owners, but alas, that is not always the case. For example, manuscripts 82 and 86, the Kilcormac Carmelite Monastery, produced its own missile and breviary. Kilcormac itself was founded by the Omolois. The scribe of the breviary informs us that he was Malachi O'Lochnan, a cleric from the Diocese of Killaloo, writing in 1489. I say this particularly not just to give you a little in insight, but also because very often it's not realised, I think, that there were so many not-so-skilled scribes of manuscripts, but skilled scribes to produce offices and skilled, uh, skilled composers of offices, I should say, and skilled scribes of music notation. The missal was decorated by Dermisius O'Flanagan for the prior Edward O'Brucoin in 1458, and the calendar of the missal includes Omoloi Obits and the death of the second last entry records the death of excuse me, I should say that again. The second last entry records the death of Brother Rory O'Morrissey in fifteen sixty eight. So it was still clearly in the friar's possession at that date, well after the time of the dissolution of the monasteries, which was in fourteen fifty one. No doubt accommodations would have been reached, as likely happened also with the early Irish monasteries when the new orders took over. Now we're going to turn our attention to manuscript 78. You can imagine how large it is by some, well, maybe not by the dimensions, but it's, it's larger than an A3 sheet of paper, if, that, if that's any help. Um, it's a large format antiphonal parchment manuscript, bound now in 18th century binding and rebacked in the early 20th century. It's not in the best of condition, I should say. Both of the boards are detached, and, uh, sorry, I just... There we are. That just gives you some idea of the dimensions of it. This is a much more recent image, but it just shows you the type of thing we're talking about. Now, this is an example of the cover and the board. The first third of the text block is very badly distorted, stained and brittle, with losses and splits. Soiling and distortion 
throughout the remainder of the text block is also in evidence as a result of water damage and their extensive natural skin flows and mould damage in the backfold areas. So overall, this manuscript is in quite serious need of conservation. And I say that not only to give you the history of the manuscript, but to draw attention to the fact that there are many serious conservation problems being faced in, um, in libraries these days, and perhaps some of these manuscripts um, don't get that much attention in comparison with some of the more visually attractive ones. And that's nobody's fault, it's just the way things happen. But I'd just like to draw your attention to that, because it is an issue. How to make them last how to make them available for study, and of course digitisation is now something that we can look forward to more and more as, as a great um, aid, but it still doesn't uh, replace the value of being able to see the original manuscript. Now the contents are very standard breviary contents. There is a temporal, which includes all the chants for the time for the seasons of the year, then there is a calendar, and this is what I was referring to, and we will be spending more time talking about calendars in a moment. The calendar um, is, is followed by the Psalter, and then we have the Common of Saints, which is the saints of what we might call the Universal Church, and then we have the Sanctoral, which would be what we might call the Proper of Saints, in other words, saints which are specific to the region. Now, there are many gaps in this manuscript, owing to the loss of folios, but fortunately, in this case, the calendar is complete. In some of the other manuscripts, that is not the case. Now, from our perspective, it's particularly fortunate that the calendar is complete, because this particular manuscript, 78, like one or two others in the collections here, um, are particularly rich in the content for Irish saints. In this particular one, we have... We have a total of 27 Irish saints in the original hand, and five added subsequently. Now, many of those saints are not found in other Irish sources, which again makes it extremely valuable, and raises interesting questions as to what were the sources used by the compilers of this manuscript, because this is a time when only certain saints were being promulgated, if you like, were being promoted according to the constitutions and according to the liturgical practices of the time. So things that were important to people at a local level are coming through in these manuscripts as well. Um, in, the, in this, in, yes, may I just, as a little aside here, I should explain to you, first of all, you will see here that um, some of the lines here are, ah, this is how I do it, some of the saints here are referred to, or some of the days here are referred to in red, of course we call red letter days in, still in modern times. Now these would be the more important feast days, and you would have references like a duplex festum, a double feast. This feast will grade according, a rank, according to the rank of the saint. So the duplex, the more important saints, and this will have great significance as we go on when we talk about some of the saints we're going to be singing about later. And then the black it, the, the, the mentions in black are not such important days. They're still days to be observed, but they're not as important as the, um, the red ones. Now, I, before I go into the detail, I'm just going to say a few more words about this in general. The feasts in 78, the feasts of St. Patrick, Bridget, Ciaran of Sire, and Canis are red-letter days. And it is these last, along with the presence of other Ossery saints, which suggests that this manuscript was originally written for Kilkenny Cathedral. Canis is accorded particularly elaborate treatment, as we shall see shortly. Among the entries in red throughout the calendar, I'm not only speaking about this one now, but maybe just to give you a guide as to the sort of details we'll be looking at. Um, among the entries in red are Bridget, Ciaran of Sire, and Patrick, the Transfiguration, the Feast of the Name of Jesus, and Canis. And then among the entries in black are people like Monoch, who was Modanoch O'Neill of Ossery, and Bear, Berry, Beroch, Berry in Latin. They always put the name in the genitive, so it would be Brigide Patricii Kirani, because it means the feast of, but you don't have the word festum each time. So we have Mokin, and we have Lachton, and we have Lasrain, we have Brendan, we have Kevin, we have Aidan. Macaulinus, Begnet, Breek, Lawrence O'Toole, and Finian among the 27 Irish saints. This manuscript is dated to the late
late 15th century. Now, how do we know this? Well, we know that's not only from the style of the writing, but also from the fact that some of the feasts entered in the original calendar, the so-called Nova Festa, because the church was, won't say continually, but from time to time adding new feasts for various reasons, which is another subject for another day. But it, it's an ongoing process, the, not only the making of saints, but the approving of certain figures to appear in the liturgical calendar. And these are referred to as Nova Festa, as opposed to the older universal saints. And among these Nova Festa, new feasts would be the Visitation, which dates to 1475, the Transfiguration, which dates to 1487, the Name of Jesus, which dates to 1488. So that tells us that the manuscript cannot have been copied before that year. So we have all sorts of little indicators, little markers that help us to date them. Now as to the vexed question of provenance. Kilkenny, Finglas and Clondalkin have all been put forward for this manuscript. Finglas has been suggested because of the presence of Canis, and Canis is one of the old patrons of the church at Finglas. Now, the, those who've gone for Finglas have discounted Kilkenny, and I think the reason they've done that is because there are many references, and again, please bear with me because I'll show you the, the, in a little more detail in a moment. Um, it is... There are several references to the Dublin Constitutions. Per Constitutiones is what accompanies some of the names. And this relates, in this, there were other constitutions, but this particular one dates, uh, relates to the Provincial Council of Alexander de Bicknor from circa 1320. He promulgated these provincial constitutions, and in that he ordained that St. Patrick, St. Bridget, and, and saints from the the Dublin province should all be celebrated throughout the entire archdiocese. So not only Dublin, but Ossery and Ferns as well. So you have Patrick and Bridget as the national saints, and then you also have uh, Saint, I should have mentioned Kildare of course, Bridget of Kildare, not because she's a national saint, but because she was the saint of Kildare. Saint Canis of Ossery, Saint Lazarian of Lachlan and Saint Aidan of Ferns. So each of the dioceses of the Dublin Archdiocese had one titular saint who had to be celebrated throughout the province of Dublin. So you see this reference to constitutiones in the um, in the calendar. Now, as I say, um, this has been an argument, I believe, for why people have said it has to be fingless. The references to Dublin and um, the references to the constitutions could explain Canis. However, it doesn't explain the presence of so many other Ossery saints. And while I would say that it cannot be proved anymore, uh, which I should have added, there are a lot of inscriptions then from Clondalkin, so it's clear that it moved to Clondalkin at a very early stage. But I think that in the absence of firm evidence, the Kilkenny argument is more persuasive than the Finglas one because of the number of Ossery saints which are an, an unusual feature of this particular manuscript. That said, it was in Clondalkin not long after it was made, and it appears to have remained there until at least the 17th century. Either way, it cannot have continued in use as a service book for long. Many of these books were shelved, thrown out or destroyed at the time of the Reformation, and it is something of miracle that they have survived at all. Occasionally, remnants can be found in the bindings of later books, an area of research nowadays known as fragmentology, and it's a growing area of research, which is currently attracting a lot of interest. There is also one clear sign of Reformation thinking in some of the manuscripts, and again, please bear with me because I will be showing you these details in just a moment, that the word Papa, the name of the Pope, is usually erased, and this shows direct links with Henry VIII from the time of the Reformation, where the names of the saints, funnily enough, remain, but the word Papa, the word Pope, is actually erased. Now, from an even earlier time, some manuscripts have erasures of St. Thomas of Becket, or Thomas of Canterbury, whom, I'm sure you all know, was murdered at, under the instructions of Henry II in Canterbury Cathedral in 1170. But Henry himself was quick to deny it, such was the outrage caused by the events. He was already sailing to Wales from Ireland in 1171 on other pursuits. And one of the ways in which he attempted to distance himself from the crime was the foundation of the Aroasian Abbey of St. Thomas the Martyr, established in Dublin in 1177, on the orders of the very same Henry. 
and indeed a missal does survive from the Abbey of St. Thomas the Martyr with notation. Um, I mentioned Thomas the Martyr because I was very interested in looking at the Irish liturgical manuscripts that I don't, don't know if there's any one example where his name has been erased, but a lot of the English manuscripts have. Now, I don't mean to say they did this in England and they didn't do it in Ireland. I think the reason is that he became reinstated at quite an early stage afterwards, so it was just the very earliest manuscripts that have this issue. The other thing to mention is that, as well as the changes brought about by the Reformation, these, it wasn't just blame the Reformation, such books also became redundant as a consequence of the Catholic reforms introduced following the Council of Trent in the early 16th century, whereby serum and other local and regional rites were systematically replaced by the uniform Roman rite another reason why these older books became redundant. And that's another reason why the study of fragments is so important. We find them in the bindings of books very often, and more people now are starting to look for these things and reconstruct, where possible, some of the older materials. Now, I'd just like to show you some images from the calendar. You probably had enough of looking at January. <laughs> but let me just point out two things to you. Um, first of all, I would like to mention to you that the first days of the month are known as the knowns. And then we come to the 15th day of the, of the month, which is the Ides, the Ides of March. I'm sure you all be familiar with the Ides of March. So at a certain point, you're counting back from the Ides, the second before the Ides, the third before the Ides, etc. And then after that, you're into the... Excuse me, took the wrong thing here. After that, you're into the calends. Down here, just here, on the next day, the 16th day of the month, is the calends of February. So you're working backwards from the 1st of February on a minus scale. Just to give you a little insight into how these calendars are organised. Um, and then, for example, I mentioned the red letter days earlier. Well, now let's have a look at some black letter days. <clears throat> um, the... St. Agnes, for example. Now, if this was, um, if this was a Bohemian manuscript, St. Agnes would have the status that St. Canis has here because she is a hugely important saint in Bohemia. She's the patron saint. Um, but here, she's there, but she's not um, in, in lights, as it were. So she has three lections. The number of lections from Matins is also an, an index of the importance of the saint. So, for example, for St. Bridget, St. Canis, you have nine lections, a very long Matins office. But for a less important day or saint, you would have three lections. And lastly, for this page, and I'll show you a little um, an enlargement in a moment, on the 31st of January here, we have St. Aidan. Now, here's, this is St. Aidan of Ferns that I mentioned to you earlier, and he is an, um, one of the, one of the um, required um, saints for, you see here, Per Constitutionis. You may not be able to read that, but P-E-R and then Constitutionis. So, he's not high, like, highly important because he's not part of the Ossery circuit. But here he is in... I don't know how effective it was for me to blow that up a little bit more, but there you are. Sancti Edani Episcopi et Confessoris, nine lections, duplex. Festo, duplex festo, per constitutionis. Now we move to the calendar for February. And here we have, at the beginning of February, I think I'll go straight to the, yeah, and this now is where I'm going to start talking a little bit about the inscriptions as well. Now, I'm not going to give you a blow-by-blow -blow account because there are quite a lot of them, so I've just selected a few to draw your attention to them. First of all, by now you're probably well able to read this. We have St. Bridget, Sancti Brigide Virginis Non Martiris Duplex Festum. Um, you see, again, they were ranked not, not only in, ter in terms of their report, but also in terms of their profile. So, for example, um, the older... Saints of the Roman Church, the universal saints, as we call them, like Saint Stephen, and I can't think of a female saint now, but it doesn't matter. There are plenty of them. Um, they were martyrs. They were martyrs for the church. So it was auto pretty well automatic that the earlier saints were also martyrs. So you have them classified according to whether they were martyrs, whether they were confessors, i.e., priests, whether they were bishops, whether they were abbots, whether they were virgins. Now they only mention virgin in the case of the female saints, 
Um, but the, in the case of Bridget, it's particularly interesting, and this applies right across the board with the Irish saints. The only Irish saints who were, were martyred, if you have a chance to look at the book upstairs, were those that went abroad because they were living in more, well, they took more challenging circumstances. There were different kinds of um, ways of sacrificing oneself, but thank God it didn't. On the whole, it seemed to lead to having to give one's life up because it wasn't that kind of society for the early Christian church in Ireland. So, we have here St. Bridget, Virginis non martyrs, a virgin and not martyr, if she were both, it would say so. Now, here we have the purification of the Virgin Mary, purificatio beate Mariae Virginis, and then duplex festum. So, she's actually on the same par as Bridget. They're both, obviously, um, highly important feast days. Now, an interesting here thing for people who are interested in, in the Dublin um, angle, we have here, I respect it said Warburg, but these days it's known as St. Warburg, and there's probably a whole history to that that I don't know a lot about, but she's Warburg, a Chester saint, one of the, who were among the founders, people, the, the Chester people were among the founding um, people who, who came to Dublin under the, at the time of Henry II, and I'm sure you all know St. Warburg's church. So she's there, but she's in black, she's not a red letter saint. Now here's an interesting thing here, and I will read it out to you. Um, Yes, sorry, I had it in black, that's why I didn't see it. Um, so these inscriptions are written by people in the Clondalkin, in the church in Clondalkin. Now, who they were, we're not always sure uh, whether they were actually clergy or whether they were people part of the administration of the church. But uh, they use these manuscripts or these books, if you like, for swearing oaths on or for recording maybe debts or the debts, D-E-B-T-S, I hasten to add, and, or payments of debts. Um, but, so in other words, there was, like I said, there were witnesses to legal arrangements, and also there were deaths, obituaries also reported, and I have to watch my T's and T-H's here. Um, so in this case, and I thought this was a bit of a gem, actually, it says, um, the, f- the 5th day of February, 1575, Bell Lock did handfast William Willen Horan. Now, if anyone can translate that for me, I'd be very happy. I don't quite understand what it means myself, but that's what it says, the bell lock. I better move on. <laughs> um, oh, yes, I should have mentioned one very important thing, of course. Sorry about this. Yes, yes, we're going on to the second part of February now, that's right. Um, uh, I thought I shouldn't, I couldn't possibly... Um, go past this without showing you St. Valentine, because everybody will be <coughs> St. Valentine on the 14th here. This is the chair of St. Peter, and here we have, um, where is St. Valentine gone now? Sorry. Here we are, St. Valentine. A black, a black letter day. All right. And, um, another inscription here is, Oh yes, another thing here that's interesting is St. Finton Abbot, Abbot. He has been erased, but I've done a little bit of thinking about this because Finton, Finton of Clonina is obviously one of our really important um, medieval saints and I thought maybe he's just not desired in Clonjokin. Well, it didn't just have a little thing, I had a little look around the literature. And here he's erased, Santi Fintani Abatis, nine lections, obviously important somewhere along the line. But the interesting thing is, he's another St. Finton. He's from the early, from an earlier um, Clonina link, as far as I know. I could be wrong here. But more usually, and, and that was the date, the 17th of February, but more usually the, the Finton we know is St. Finton Munna who was um, bishop and confessor, and here we have nine lectures. Now this, St. Vincent, is the correct date for him. Um, sorry, I don't know if I can find that quickly now. I don't want to hold you up too long. Um, he's bishop, uh, bishop and confessor, nine lectures, again, for, uh, according to the constitutions. And this St. Vincent of, um, of Clonina, he was also the Vincent of Hoth. Now, this could be quite significant, that the other St. Finton didn't have so much meaning for them, but this particular St. Finton um, had both jurisdictions. And, of course, as I'm sure you know, um, Sutton today is, is Kiel, Kiel and Tom, St. Finton's church. So Finton is still very strong in the history of that part of Dublin.
Now we move on to um, the calendar for March. We have uh, Kieran of Sire on the 5th. I think have I got a little... Here we have Marcius, um, Saint Mokin, who's one of our less well-known saints, but I just thought I'd mention him. There's Saint Chad, Saint David and Saint Chad, Welsh and English influences. And then we have Saint Ciaran, Bishop and Confessor, a duplex. So this is Saint Ciaran of Sar, 5th of March. And then, moving on, we have here Saint Patrick, Bishop and Confessor, also a duplex, and nine lections. Here is Saint Lachnon as well. And obviously we won't have time to go through the whole calendar, so I've just picked a selection for you. Here we have August, Saint Peter in Chains for the first, Saint Stephen the Martyr, and now you can see why I chose this one. He, the word Papa is erased here, because all of the popes have been erased. From here. But nonetheless, they kept the name, which I think is quite interesting. It was just the word Papa that seemed not acceptable. And here we have the Transfiguration, which I mentioned to you earlier, obviously a very important day in the liturgical calendar. And this is something I would particularly like to draw your attention to. Now, this is actually... Um, you can see that it's not part of the original because it's added in. in the, it's, it's very slightly, if not, if sure it's even a slightly different hand, but a slightly different ink. And this is Saint um, Saint Mokua, who is no less than Cronon of Clondalkin. So this is a highly significant addition to the calendar. This shows very clearly that at a very early stage, this manuscript had was was it. I would say, prove that it's in Clondalkin, but why else would it have been added? So I think we're talking really about a very, very short time wherever it was originally compiled, and I would say pretend. So here we have Mahut, who you wouldn't find in all, all that, Mahua, I say, you wouldn't find him in all that many um, calendars, yeah, particularly added in like that, so he was added in very deliberately. And another one of lo great local interest, in the very same writing, very same hand, we have St. Auden. Now, Auden, as you know, isn't an Irish saint. It was St. Juan, who was um, from Rouen. In other words, he was a normal saint, obviously extremely important to the people who founded the city of Dublin. Or not the people, sorry, I'm forgetting my Vikings. The Normans who founded the city of Dublin under Henry II. So, Auden is here, added in, because he was important. Now, he's next to St. Bartholomew, and clearly Bartholomew had an feast to hear, but Auden couldn't be um, overlooked. Now we'll move on to October, and here we have, uh, first of all we have St. Canis, well it's not first of all, but it's the one in red, and this again is, is a linchpin of our presentation, St. Canis, Martyr, um, Duplex Feast. Maius duplex cum memoria sub silenti de sancto. And then here we have an edition of the title I was referring to earlier of obituaries of contemporary users of the book. And it would be a way of ensuring that that person's memory was um, recorded, but also that he would be prayed for on the day of his death every year. So it would be a memorial, obviously somebody of great importance. In this case, it is um, a curate of this church, we would assume the church of Clodroken. Obitus Nicolai Vestum Curati Cuius Ecclesiae Anno Christi. Now, uh, Colker actually misread that and put a little bit of. Um, um, he put some funny abbreviations, but I've worked it out that it says 1556. And here we have, here it is written here. And just a few little pointers on, on, on uh, December. We have, first of all, St. Finian on the 14th, Finian of Clonard. Again, very important, but not so important that he's got a red letter feast in this instance. And then we're moving into the calendar of January, so we're moving into the second half of December. And we have St. Mainan, 
St. Magnani Episcopi, again added in this time in the 16th century hands. So we're showing again that it's not an Ossery focus, that there's a Dublin focus in, 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 the, in the current users' minds. And I just wanted to show you, because we referred to him and because we have a church, or had a church named after him, and I'm very happy to say that a lot of really interesting research has been undertaken there in recent years. Um, it's in the Liberties, St. Thomas, uh, Archbishop and Martyr Duplex Festum. And, but we have, of course, I shouldn't overlook this, Nativitas Domini, we have Christmas here, we have St. Stephen's Day, and someone wrote in Fitch, this is Christmas Eve, the Vigil of Christmas, just written in as a little word. St. John the Apostle um, and St. Holy Innocents, St. Thomas, Archbishop and Martyr, and now down at the bottom, one of the popes that I referred to earlier, St. Sylvester. Nine lections. I mentioned to you earlier that St. Canis is given high prominence in the calendar. He doesn't look any more prominent than Bridget and Patrick, by the way. Not saying that the calendar um, puts him at a more, <coughs> places more emphasis on him, but the fact that he's in red is already important. What's even more important is the elaborate office that he has in this manuscript. It is the only notated office that we have in Canis, but as well as being the only notated office for him, we also have a kind of a bells and whistles approach, if I put it so informally, in that, first of all, we have material for, well, let me just very quickly talk you through that, um, without, again, unfortunately going to detail, because there's an awful lot to say about a single office. We have um, First Vespers, we have five antiphons for First Vespers, now that shows some importance, because very often you would only have two or three. When I say, by the way, when I say antiphons, I don't just mean antiphons, I mean proper antiphons, because that's what I'm collecting. Um, an office had to have so many antiphons, so many responsories, so many verses. But if they are proper, they're actually specifically, the text, specific texts with the name of that saint. They are proper to the day, proper to the person. So in this case, we have five proper antiphons for Canis, which is a lot. Then we have a hymn, and then we have um, an, an antiphon, magnificat antiphon. Um, now, this is the continuation of Vespers, and here begins Matins here. I think I'm sorry, I'm reading sideways, it isn't terribly easy. Yes, this, here's the hymn, the, the, the Vespers hymn, and then here is the Invitatorium, which is the first antiphon of Matins, the Invitatory Antiphon which punctuates the psalms. The word antiphon actually means a countersound, an antiphon. And so it's not an independent piece as such. It was devised particularly as a response or a way of, of, of um, yes, it's on an antiphon, if you like, of, of, of embellishing the psalms. You would have an antiphon, then you had one, one, then you would have a psalm or a group of psalms, and then another antiphon. So it was an alternating kind of situation. And so this is the invitatory antiphon which would have punctuated the very long Benite Psalm at the opening of Matins. Um, now, there is unfortunately a missing folio, so it jumps after the first invitatory, um, it jumps straight, it has one um, fragment of, of, an, of the first antiphon, and then it's, it jumps straight to the third nocturne. Now, the antiphons, there were three nocturnes, each divided into three sets, into a set of antiphons, responsories, excuse me, antiphons, readings and responsories. So you have three nocturnes and we have the first set, only the very beginning of it, and then we have the last set. But these are all proper. And um, I'm glad to say that I found um, some of the missing materials in other manuscripts, not with notation, but in fact we now have enough to reconstruct the whole of the Canis Office by virtue of these surviving texts in other sources. So here we have the continuation of Matins and... It's hard to read sideways, I'm sorry, um, Lords, where does it go? Yes, here we have in Laudibus. So, Matins is the night office, the main office of the day. Very well, it's called the night office because it was often at midnight, but sometimes it could be at 3 a.m. or 6 a.m., depending on not only the establishment, but also depending on the, the, the chronological aspects. Matins got later as time went on. Um, now, 
as I said to you, it's it's a very elaborate office because first of all we have um, we have a special. Sorry, I was just checking something before I led you astray. Um, it has a second vespers proper antiphon, which you're going to hear in just a moment, and that's why I'd like to draw your attention to it. But more than that, we have um, three different gospel antiphons, and, and the gospel antiphon would be for either the Benedictus or the Magnificat. In, this, in the case of Vespers, it's always the Magnificat. And um, you have three separate proper antiphons for the octave of the feast. Now, it's not just that there are three separate proper antiphons. It also is telling us that the Feast of St. Canis was celebrated every single day for eight days. Now, it was the entire week that followed his feast he was celebrated. So this was a really, really important um, saint for the people who made this book. So, again, this is why I do believe that it was made for Kilkenny. And there's another reason which you will hear being sung in just a little while, just a couple of minutes more. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> yes, I think the moment has come, actually. <laughs> Sorry. Take your time, please. Um, okay, I will read this out. Um, and I, th I can't say enough um, how grateful I am to the four members of Anu for coming this evening, because there is nothing to compare with the life, bringing this to life in the flesh with the voice, rather than some little recording from a... Now, um, just a moment. I'm going to, we'll have the text in front of you, actually, so I don't need to read it out, except to make one point, and you've probably already guessed what that point is. It says, May the memory of the Father become sweet to his sons, by his miracles, Ossery grows strong. By his sacred protection, may Kilkenny flourish. Can you imagine people in Findless saying, May Kilkenny flourish? <laughs> um, through his prayers, may joys be granted. Uh, Ossery, of course, Ossery is the other thing. May, may, through his prayers, may joys be granted to us in our land. Thank you. And here we have it, if you would like to follow it there.
I should have said, of course, I'm sorry, I just reminded myself, St. Aidan is more often known as St. Moog or St. Moog, and you probably know about the shrine in the National Museum, for example, but in Latin he's St. Danus. Moog, that's how the name comes, from, uh, it comes in Irish. Now, we're just going to hear a little bit of um, something from the Office of St. Bridget, three matins at funds. The 
text is what leads. The text is there. The text, the, the music is there to lift the text. And so you're very much guided by what you see in the text. And not to mention, not to omit to mention, of course, that it even refers to a, a dance of praise. So if we might, as I say, I'm now going to bow out and let, let the last word to the singers and to the Nos mundet et imundet precum purgator.